willing is a great big giant word that we all wrestle with. So I want to read you uh, <clears throat> why this matters so much. Uh, Mark uh, chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us as we wrestle with our flesh the same way you wrestled with yours. Thank you that you being fully God put on flesh and you understand the wrestling that takes place with this word willing. But Lord, you did it you won the battle. Strengthen us, Lord Jesus, as now we are very much inside of ours. And I know what you want, Lord. I know what you've asked for. And I pray that we will be willing to give you, not just once, but as a whole lifetime, that will be people marked by joy. In Jesus' high name I pray. Amen. So why do we all wrestle with the word all? I mean, I think, honestly, we probably would have liked it better if Jesus had said, the greatest command is that you would love the Lord your God with some of your heart and some of your mind and some of your strength and all of that instead of all. But he didn't say some. He said all. And I've been thinking a lot about this this whole month as we've been preparing for this that all these great teachings we've heard, really not just in this generosity series, but the whole Bible itself, all of it hinges on this great big giant word we're wrestling with today at the end of the generosity series. And it's the word willing. Willing is the biggest word in the Bible. It's the word on which the entire cosmic battle for your soul is resting. It's the word willing. You, you pick who wins. It's your choice. It always will be. Nobody's fault but your own. You decide. It's willing. And God doesn't want anything less than a willing heart. And I'm about to prove it to you in scriptures if, you, if, you, if you're wrestling with that. He really wants the willing heart. He wants a heart that is filled with joy. That's because that's how he's motivated. And he wants us to be motivated in that same way. Generosity is all about joy. And uh, <clears throat> this, this last three weeks, just to review what we've already heard, the very first week Jason spoke on generosity, he said uh, he wanted to start us off by just looking at the generosity of God. So I'm going to ask you, by way of review, how much did God give? He did it. He gave us the great big giant word, all. He started this thing by giving us all. Then... Uh, and Hebrews 12.2 is a great uh, picture, and I know a lot of us who've walked with Jesus for a long time love this passage. And Hebrews 12.2, it 
Jesus, it's talking about how did Jesus make it through his crucifixion. I love the behind the scenes take. Because uh, when you read the account of the crucifixion in the Gospels, it basically doesn't give a lot of details about the heart of Jesus. It says, and they crucified him. But this picture gives us a clue of what was going on in his heart. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and in scorned at shame sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Have you ever wondered about the, the picture of Jesus as he was on his way to the cross? Because we're told that he was like a lamb to the slaughter. He was silent. And if those of you who have been in my mentorship or in my journey, you've heard me say this before, but I continue to say it's one of my big revelations in this concept of willing. And this is what I, I say, and I believe that Jesus, the reason he was like a lamb to the slaughter on the way to the cross is because he really died the night before, right? The, the Friday where he was nailed to the cross, he was essentially a dead man walking at that point. He was already dead. Why? Because what does he look like in the garden the night before he faced the cross? What are, what, what are some of the emotions that we are told he was facing? It says he was in anguish to the point that his, his sweat was like blood. That's a very different picture than a lamb to the slaughter. Why? Because Jesus said giant words in the garden the night before he died. What were the words? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus died the night before the cross, and it wasn't easy for him, and he knows it isn't easy for us to wrestle down our will, but he did it for the joy set before him. And what was that joy? I believe it was the joy of fulfilling his father's heart. It was his father's will that he would face the cross. And his father wanted it because it's not the will of God that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to a saving knowledge. And none of us had any prayer of that unless Jesus went the distance to the cross. Jesus was motivated by joy. God is motivated by joy. And that's how they did their biggest thing. And it won't be any different for us as we wrestle with our biggest thing. The second week, Shannon told us that God, we, we need to stop wrestling on this topic with generosity. We need to stop wrestling about, well, is it a tenth or is it a two percent or is it a three? Or how much does God really want? If you really want to argue about it, what does God want? He wants it all. So just let's just swallow that great big giant word. Now, the third week, we get this amazing picture. Oh, sorry, I want to show you, proven to you God wants it all and why it matters. Enjoy John 15, 11 is another great big giant passage. Jesus is saying, this is all in um, him, his final words to his disciples before he goes out to the garden to pray and he's going to die the next day. And in it, he says, I'm telling you this, that you should remain in me, always stay with me so that your joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I really want you to be happy about this. I'm telling you this because this is where joy stays. Treasure me like that great joy. You give me all. You remain with me and your joy is going to be complete and my joy is going to be in you. And this is all going to be easy to move to generosity because we're motivated by joy. And then last week, 
Shannon talked to us a lot about how our heart will tell us where our treasure is. Or it follows that. And Matthew 13, 44 is one of my favorite pictures. And it's the one that I, I hope, I'm praying God would make an indelible mark on our little hearts today that we would never forget. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, woohoo, he went out and he sold all he had and he bought that field. And that's the way I picture the guy after he found the kingdom. Is he found it, and it, he didn't go, oh, I hate this, i got to go do this thing. And he didn't say, I'll get to it eventually. It says he buried it, and he went in great joy. And that's what I picture. And the only place, I, I know I say this a lot, but the only place I see Americans expressing great joy is at football games. And it's unfortunate for me because I'm a person who's very expressive and I love to express great joy, but I'm not all that about football. It's just, it's not my thing. I I don't get it. I don't connect to it. But that's the place where we see people going, yes, woo, all right, yeah, yeah. And then we come into church and we're all like, and I'm like, tell me how this makes sense. Why we put this, this inappropriate level of emotion to something that doesn't matter and we come into the thing that matters the very, very most and we're all And so it's problematic to me, and I really believe that if we were marked, God help us to be marked by joy, generosity will become very easy, because we're just giving out of the overflow. So, willing is the whole entire battle. Uh, Let's read uh, 2 Corinthians, one of my favorites. I do love this whole entire book. And I read you this. Uh, we heard a little bit of Second uh, Corinthians eight uh, in, in the last three weeks. We've heard it, but I'm going to read just a little of that again. I'm going to re- read uh, a little bit out of Second Corinthians nine. So, in verse two, it says, "Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity." Um, and then skipping to verse twelve. Sorry, guys, if you can't catch me, it's okay. This, it says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Basically, God's going, I don't really want it if you're going to give it to me like, just take it quick because I just don't really, right? He's like, if the willingness is there, like you want to give it to me, then it's acceptable. We're going to talk more about that. In verse, uh, then chapter 9, verse uh, 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a tearful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You're going to be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Ooh, that makes me so excited. I feel like I've been 
someone who has received the generosity of others most all my life, being a preacher's kid, being raised on a very minimal salary my whole life, I have received the rich generosity of the church. I know what that feels like. But Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I want to be on the other side of it. I get so excited about being able to pour out and give and to receive the more blessing of that generosity because I'm ready and it's my great desire and my willingness of my heart to be able to participate in the giving. Okay, so here's, here's the problem. Here's uh, this picture that I see. I was going to try and get a lazy boy in here, but I didn't. Okay, so we might have chairs like this in our house or lazy boys or something like this. And these days they make them, we used to have one that have a little cup right here where you put your drink or your remote control, right? And then a lot of us, when we're chillaxing, we put our laptop on our lap. The TV is probably on and we plug the earbuds in sometimes. So we've got our remotes in our hands, earbuds, laptop, and we sit here and this is the life. Yes, it is. Don't lie. You know you're not supposed to say yes because we're in church, but there's a part of you that's like, no, I totally love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm kind of thinking, could you hurry up because I want to go home and get in my chair and do my thing because this is the life. Okay, so here's, here's the problem. When we get here and your child or somebody, say if you're a child and your parent needs you and they go, hey, can you come here? What do you say? I, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it eventually. I have to get up. I got to unplug. I got So we don't normally go, okay, yes. What did you need? I'm so ready to serve you. Because we're in this, we're in this place. We're in this thing. And we're, we're all like, well, what we're doing is we're not living, right? We're resting. But... Isn't there, would you guys agree with me that there is a pretty strong temptation in the American culture to do this probably more than we should? Okay, you can talk back to me. Yes, there is. Let's not be liars. Because we are in church, right? <clears throat> this, is, this is a real tempting posture, teenagers, children, listen to me. Because what I believe, if we're not careful, is what we're doing is we're living assimilated life. It's not real anymore. And listen, I'm saying it from the context of a church setting, but Coca-Cola is making commercials about it. The movies are making movies about it. I believe the prophets are speaking in all the different art mediums. We are surrendering our life to assimilated life. And uh, it's a little too intense for me to show you the clip, but many of you probably have seen The Matrix. And you know how the humans in the, in the Matrix analogy, they become batteries. Basically, they're just in this little pod. And they have inputs into their wrists, into the back of their brain, into their body. And they're just laying there. And what do they think while they're laying there? They think they're living. But they're not living. They're living assimilated life. Jesus doesn't want us to be reluctant about what we give him. He doesn't want us in this, oh, I, I don't, 
It's such a, it's so hard. It's so, it's so hard to do that. I just, I just don't. But why is Jesus calling us to get out of the chair? Because that isn't life. That isn't life. We're being fed images, but we're not making impact. We're not light. We're not salt. We're just sitting there. We're turning into a battery. And, and you know, you look at that movie like The Matrix, and, and I do kind of think those things kind of get prophetic, so you can argue with me about that later. But I do feel like those are pretty, like, stunning pictures. You go, how would people surrender to that? I mean, why would people really give up their willingness to live this abundant life and become a battery? It's like, oh, we're already doing it. We're already laying it down and plugging in. Jesus wants a heart that is ready and willing to pour out and to give and not. It's hard. I don't want, he doesn't want this to be a reluctant battle. He also says he doesn't want this to be under compulsion. And I so wanted to show you another clip, but I, I, I thought of it too late. How many of you have seen the movie Ever After with Drew Barrymore? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, it's a signed watching if you haven't seen it. But there is a scene, and those of you who've seen it, you'll remember, where there is a scene with an arranged marriage where the prince who was supposed to marry, you know, Drew Barrymore's character, he gets all huffy and he's like, I'm not going to marry her. I'm going to surrender and I'm going to have this arranged marriage with the prince of, princess, sorry, of Spain. And so there's this scene where she's coming down the aisle and she looks beautiful, all this beautiful bride. And she's walking down the aisle, but you can't hear anything but her crying. She's, No, it's a really funny scene. You totally have to watch it. And so here's the groom, like, waiting for his bride, who's like, "Ah!" And so it just hurts his ears, and his face just starts becoming really reactive. That's what I picture. That is the scene I picture when we, the bride of Christ, come at it like, I don't want to do this. Please don't make me go back to mercy. Instead of being like, I'm yours. I'm yours. Like, what is, that tension. Jesus just wants our joy to be complete. And he knows he's the one that makes our joy complete. So it's not about being reluctant. It's not about this compulsion where I have to do this. You're making me. Malachi is another picture that we had in our, if you were reading the generosity study the last three weeks, another place that we were sent was Malachi. Malachi chapter one. Wowie. Old Testament prophets. God gave them really hard words to say. But he says this, I love this. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty, when you bring the injured, the crippled, the diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices. Should I accept them from your hands? What he's saying is, you're giving me your leftovers. You're giving me the things you don't want anyway. And you're saying, it's such a burden. When God's like, is that the way I treated you? I gave you all, and I pray and desire that you will give me your all. <clears throat> a picture of joyful generosity is in uh, Exodus chapter 35. And uh, I love this because if you know or are familiar with the story in the, in the story of God in scriptures, the book of Exodus is telling the story of the children of Israel as they departed the Exodus out of Egypt. And they were on their way into the promised land, but they lost faith. 
and they ended up staying in the wilderness for 40 years. And there's an amazing book of how God introduced himself to them in the wilderness. These people were, at least in the scriptures recording, they were among the most unwilling, ungrateful, grumbling, complaining, whining people in the Bible. And you wonder, I mean, there's even one part where God tells Moses, I don't think I can stay with you anymore. I'm going to send an angel because if I stay with you, I'm going to kill you. I love that. I've read that to my children sometimes. When I'm like, God even gave himself a timeout. So he can have it up to here sometimes with us. But if these grumbling, whining, complaining, contemptuous people could learn how to be generous, then I think anybody can, right? So this is a picture uh, that I wanted to share with you guys in Exodus uh, chapter 35. And Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering. Everyone who is, what's that great big giant word? Willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. Does he say how much? Did he say the amount? No? Did he say you had to? No, he's like, God's like, I got an idea. I want to build this thing. And if you want to help me, bring what you want. Oh, I just love that. And then we get to uh, the, their response in Exodus 36, 3 through 7. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring, oh, big word there, free will offerings, morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the whole camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they already, what they already had was enough to do all the work. What? Did that ever happen again in the whole entire universe <laughs> ever once? And that's why it got like Bible time. It got cha- a whole chapter on it. What happens if the people of God become filled with joy and generosity and you have to go, you've given enough, hold it back. They had to be restrained. Like, what does that look like? No, I've got a whole basket of gold. I'm trying to bring it to the tabernacle. You can't stop me. They're like, no, stay back. We've got enough. God said, I'm restraining you. That is such a strange picture. But I I don't know what the word restrained, that's a strong word. They weren't just encouraged. Oh, no, go stay home. They had to be restrained because their joy was so great. I got it. I got it. I got the whole kingdom. I'm bringing everything I got. I want God to have more than enough. I want him to build whatever he wants to build because whatever God wants to build matters to me more than anything in the whole world because he's my joy. He's my joy. He's my joy. He's my joy. Woo-hoo! Woo! And this is the way we live. This is the way we walk instead of like, where are you going, church? Gotta go. Cause... Do it every week. What are, you, what are you writing that check? Church. I'm writing a check for church. I got to or God will be mad at me. He wants 10%. He takes it right off the top. Gosh. Then we are. Who is that? Napoleon Dynamite. Gosh. Well, no wonder nobody is interested in that. Well, obviously, they don't like it very much. <laughs> So I don't think I'm going to be interested. But if we were the people who found the treasure buried in the field, woo, we got everything I'm selling, everything I'm selling, everything, because I found everything. Jesus said, 
In Acts, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He also said in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me forever. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Don't misunderstand, church. This exchange is life for life. It's all for all. And God forgive us for making it anything other than that. All for all. Life for life. If this is going to be the real deal that we're practicing here at Highland, oh God, let it be the real deal. This is too much work to make it anything else. But if this is, if this is all for our king, whew, then let, it, let the joy of this gift, to being given to the one who is so worthy of it, let it drive us and motivate it and, pull, and give us that heart-beating pulse that pleases the Lord. I have to let you know in closing, Ben, you can come on up, that at 46 years old, I am more committed, more devoted, more excited, more filled with joy about the cause of Christ here in Asheville than I was eight years ago. And I have to tell you, that is by God's grace. He is sustaining this joy. <clears throat> and it has been tested, sorely tested. Last year, I came to a point, I confessed to all of you guys when I spoke about fear that I really hit a hard place. And I had to really remember, why am I doing this? And I began to ask my que- this, myself the question, well, what else do you, would you rather be doing? This? Living this simulated life, watching other people live, scrolling page after page after page about who ate broccoli for dinner. I'm totally serious. Facebook is a vortex. I try occasionally to check it, but it sucks me down into that hole and an hour went away, and I don't even know what I did, but I watched you live while my dishes sat and my dog needed to go out and my children needed me, but I watched other people live for an hour. I hope that helped you. Me watching you live. I don't know. I didn't even encourage you. I didn't click a like. I didn't say a nothing. I just scrolled and scrolled and scrolled. Watched you. It's a strange. That's so strange to me. I think we're willingly becoming a battery. I really do. So Lord help us. Lord help us live our own lives. Let other people write books about it. Right? Let us tell the story of God's work in a church in the heart of the city who came together to say that all people matter to God. And we're going to give full devotion to Jesus because he gave his full devotion to us. And we're going to labor all day long, every day, to pass the baton of faith and leadership to the next generation. With all my heart and with all my joy. And Lord, it is my great joy to live with authenticity. Let that story be told about a gathering of people who just decided to do it for real. And there is no other way to do it. And I'm so glad my dad raised me this way. He never, as a preacher's kid, he never put pressure on me to behave in any certain way because I was his daughter. Never. My whole life. I picked up some of that pressure myself, but he never put it on me. He always said, the call has to be from God and not from me, or it's all a big lie anyway. 
And God isn't interested in pretending. So let's stop going through the motions. Let's just be authentic. We're in or we're not. Let's just own it. We can wrestle together. We're here to build a community to reach a community because we have the treasure, Asheville. We have it right here in our hands. See? See me? See my happy face? It's because I have a treasure. I know you think it's strange and weird, but it's because I got joy down inside here. And you think it's so weird because you got it, but you don't got it. I got it. And it's here. And I hope I can live in such a way that I'm given opportunity to point to the one who has it all and that I can share Jesus in that moment with relevance. That's why we're doing the city center. That's why we're doing Garage 34. That's why we're doing Elevate because we want to speak a language that our city understands. We want to release all of you to reveal Christ in your ordinary lives, in your neighborhoods. So get off Facebook for a little while. Amen. All right. Lord, help us to give all to you. And Lord, help us to wrestle with the bigness of that word. And oh, I hope you get what you want, Jesus. I hope that our joy will be made complete in you because we were willing to let you do the distance in us. In Jesus' name, amen.